with me to Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. If you don't know where Micah is, it's right here on your screen. What we're going to do is, as you've been noticing this whole fall, I've been doing something very different in my preaching. I've been going Old Testament to New Testament. And it's very deliberate because we need to make better correlations between what God was doing in the old and what He's doing in the new. And so literally since September, I've been really working on this idea of meshing the two together. Because too often as Christians, we get so stuck in the New Testament that we never see the fullness of Scripture that God was speaking in the Old. True? How many of us really know the Old Testament? Not many of us. But the little snapshots that we read in the Old Testament are a huge portrait for what God was doing in the new. Okay? What God was doing in a snapshot in the Old Testament was a huge portrait for what God was doing in the New Testament and what He's fulfilling today. Think about that. What He's fulfilling today. Would you say that with me? What He's fulfilling today. What He did in the old and what He did in the new is what He's fulfilling today. It says here in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, O you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathath, are only a small village among all the people of Judah. Yet a ruler of Israel will come from you, one whose origins are from the distant land. Now let me just tell you what this one verse refers to. The prophetic word of the birthplace of Jesus. This is one of those verses that when you look at the Old Testament and you talk to Jewish scholars, that they, that they want to know exactly why and what Micah had meant. And it wasn't even about what or why, but what was going to take place. Who was going to be born there? Who was the one that was going to travel a distance to be specifically born in this little village called Bethlehem? Let me show you a couple little pictures of Christmas cards. Let's see them up here. Do we have them? That's not a Christmas card. That's a Christmas card. When we think about Christmas cards, we think of this. Nice and cozy and comfy. Safe and warm. Very childlike. Is there another one? Do we have another one up there? We should have a couple. There. We see that. We see this majestic image of what that Christmas moment was. But when we really think about Christmas and Christmas cards, and we think about what everything happened surrounded around this little village of Bethlehem, it wasn't really that simple. It wasn't really that cute. It actually wasn't that majestic. Now turn with me to Luke chapter 2. Second Gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Third Gospel. Third Gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Let's read this. At that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken by Quirinius. I can't read this morning was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. 
And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea. David's ancient home, he traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, his fiancée, who was now obviously pregnant. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her first child, a son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available to them. We know the story. We talk about the story every Christmas that Mary had conceived a child through the power and overshadowing of the Holy Spirit. But in this, it didn't stop there. Matter of fact, Mary and Joseph had no idea what was next, but all they knew was that they were going to have a baby. And in the midst of all this, Augustus had made a decree that everyone was supposed to go back to their ancestral towns in which the back furthest point that they could go to that they can identify that their family had come from. And so in all of this, this wasn't just something that they've done all the time, that that was part of their regular routine. Matter of fact, this only happened twice. And this was the second one. It wasn't something that was routinely done. And and yes, it happened in other lands, but, but this specific one was only the second in a long period of time. So Mary and Joseph weren't planning this beforehand. They were not scheduling their their wedding around this certain date. This was something that was sprung on them that they had to do. And so they had to set off in Mary's third trimester. This was it. Wives, for all you whose husbands travel, how many of you want your husband to travel in the last three months of their pregnancy? Yeah, look at all the dirty looks going around looking at their husbands. So, what's that? All of them do? Yeah. But in this, but imagine this. That you were told that you had to travel during that period. The last, the last of the pregnancy. And I know that when Sue and I had gone through four children together, that the one word that she always said to me is, Rob, no traveling in the last three months. I don't care what you do, but you have to be home because you never know what's going to happen. But for Mary and Joseph, this was not something that they could choose to do. They actually had to go together. And so they set out to Bethlehem. Now, the distance from Nazareth to Bethlehem was 100 miles. Let's see a little map. I'm doing a little history lesson here. Do we have the map? No? It should have been up there. Okay, anyways, think about it. The top of the screen is Nazareth. And way down here in the corner is Bethlehem. They had to travel 100 miles. And it was 100 miles that they would only go on together and with a donkey. And a donkey that would carry all of their supplies. Now we think, we always have this picture of Mary sitting on the donkey, nice and comfortable. There's nothing comfortable about sitting on a donkey. On top of that, Mary would not be sitting on the donkey. Do you know who would be sitting on the donkey? Joseph. Why? That's how they rolled back then. The woman would walk the donkey, and the man would be sitting on it. Women, how would you like that back then? Oof, not fun. All the looks looks are getting better and better as I keep talking. I might as well just stop right here. But in this, they had to travel, and they had to uh, travel through the Jordan Valley. It was a rocky, 
mountainous valley. Matter of fact, their ascent into Bethlehem was 4,000 feet. 4,000 feet. I'll never forget when Sue and I went hiking up Killington Mountain with two little babies. Whose idea was that? I don't know. But in that, I'll never forget, she had a baby, what were they called? The Bijan, whatever. Okay, baby Bijan. She had one of those on, carrying one. And then I had another one strapped to my back, and we were literally climbing up Killington Mountain. Okay? The rest of the vacation was horrific. But anyways, in that, that's what Mary and Joseph had to do, but she was pregnant at the time. Let's see some of the pictures. I actually have some pictures. This would have been the landscape of what they would have walked through. Not only with Joseph and Mary, but with a donkey and all the supplies. They had to travel through what they would call wilderness that was actually a desert. And it wasn't a, a two-day journey. For them to travel a hundred miles with, with them and her being pregnant is well estimated more than just a day trip. But they went on this journey. And I would really come to fight that I have no idea if they really understood that what they were doing was trying to fulfill Micah 5.2. There were some unknowns that were going on as well. The people in the territory, that, that Jordan Valley that they had to walk through was Samaritan territory. They were considered half-Jews. Now that sounds really bad, but that's what they were identified as. People that were half Jewish, that they didn't worship like the Jewish people. Matter of fact, there was so much racism back then that if they saw a Jewish person, that they would shun them, mainly because if a Samaritan walked into Jerusalem, they would have been shunned. Now think about Star Wars. Do you remember the first Star Wars dads, moms? Do you remember that when they were walking through and when Luke Skywalker was attacked by those weird, weird sand creatures? Okay. What were they called? Jawas. The Jawas. Basically, what Samaritans had done was they waited for the people to walk through the valleys, specifically the Jewish people, to rob them, to beat them, to have them live through the oppression which they had also lived through. And so the territory that they had to walk through, the people that they had to deal with, the circumstance that they were dealing with specifically with her pregnancy, and then all of the unknowns. Did they have enough food? Did they have enough water? How was the weather? Was it, was it winter? Was it summer? Was it, how was the train? Was it too cold? Was it too hot? Where did they sleep? How comfortable is it to sleep as a, as a rock being your pillow? There were so many unknowns, but they knew that because of life circumstances, they must travel. And they did. And when you think about this, there are so many reasons and excuses that they could have made to turn around and gone back home. They could have chosen to do things their way. They could have chosen to eliminate God's calling on their life, just like Joseph had done. Joseph could have easily chosen to either say yes to God or no to God. 
He could have literally chosen to say yes to Mary or no to Mary. Mary herself could have made some decisions whether she was going to fulfill God's will or not. And for both of them, there came a point in their lives that they chose to be on the journey that God had set before them. And the journey that they were going to go through, and it began first when the angels had interrupted their sleep. It then went with those who they had to talk with and explain this, this miraculous story. It then had to deal with living amongst the people that would shun them because of what they were looking at was an adulterous situation. Whether we want to call it that or not, that's how that way they were looked at. People did not believe them. Very few people would have believed them. Elizabeth, her husband, and a couple other individuals. And now on top of this, they had to go on this journey that was not just going to be until they get to Bethlehem, but was going to be for three years as they ran back and forth to Egypt and home, hiding from the one who wanted to kill their child. And when you look at this story of this Bethlehem baby, we can look back and we can look at Micah chapter 5 and say, oh, they were just doing what they were told to do. Oh, look how simple this is. All they had to do is go to Bethlehem and have the baby and, and God's fulfillments had come true. But wouldn't you think that if God was so much different than this, He should have allowed Jesus to be born in a, a palace? That Mary should have had herself right rather than wronged? That things should have been easy, that she wouldn't have to, to sit on a, she wouldn't have to walk besides a donkey? But everything that God would have done for His Son was to make it easy and simple. And yet, for some reason, God had allowed His Son to come into the world with all of the obstacles, all of the struggles, all of the frustrations that we go through. And that's when we need to allow Scripture to come to life. Do we actually believe the Christmas narrative? That Mary and Joseph sacrificed everything that this child would come into the world. We don't know anything about Joseph past Jesus being about eight years old. No more fame. No more accolades. The only accolade this man had gotten was that he said yes to God. And then he just drifted into the woodwork. And when I think about this, and I, and I think about us, and I think about where so many of us are in our lives, there come these moments that we literally look at the journey, journey we are on, and we begin to question, is God part of it? And maybe it's something that you are specifically going through now. Maybe it's something that you went through in the past. But let me tell you something. There will be obstacles along our way that we have to consistently choose whether or not 
to trust in God's perfect plan. Our circumstances. Let's be honest. There are people that will walk in this room and be like, oh, they have it all together. They have it all together. Everything's easy for them. Just look at that family. Look at their kids. Everything's so simple. That is the biggest lie. We all have circumstances. You could see someone who walks in here and they are able to put on a certain face, but when you would sit with them, you would see someone who is living in a place of pain and holding on by a string. You could see some other people and look at what they drive or where they live or, or what they have, and you're thinking like, wow, that they just have some really simple things going on financially. But do you really know what's happening in their lives? There are some people in this room that I know that have major medical issues and never once have you heard them complain. But some of them struggle so much with their medical situations that any bad day would cause great devastation. And yet they walk around with this hope that they cling to, not that they hold on to, but they cling to. And the only reason I know that is because I've sat in the hospital rooms with them. But as we look at this Bethlehem baby, and I'm going to wrap it, bring it all back to Micah chapter 5. There was a plan that God had in place. For I know the plans I have for you. Jeremiah 29. Don't worry about the rest of the passage. How about this, what it says? It says, trust. It says here in Proverbs 3, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek His will in all you do and He will show you which path to take. These are all words of hope that we hold and cling on to. I mean, think about this. If we really believe in the God of the Son, the Son of God that was born in Bethlehem, that was spoken of so long beforehand that this was going to happen, and everything about His life had come true, do we actually believe that all that we are going through that God spoke before we were born? That's a pretty strong statement. Do we actually believe as David had prayed in Psalm 139 that God had knit him together in his mother's womb? And all he had to do all David had to do, all Joseph had to do, all Mary had to do, and all Jesus had to do was stay the course. <clears throat> when you look at the Old Testament and you look at the New Testament, the thing that blinds us is that we know how the story ends. True that? Right? The only thing that blinds us is that we know how the story ends. 
The question is, we don't know how our stories are going to end. So we start asking the hard questions, God, can I trust you? God, can I trust the people that you've put in my life? God, can I trust the circumstance that I'm in right now? God, can I trust that, that it's true that you work together for all the good of those who are loved and called by your name? And there's only one reason why we celebrate this Bethlehem baby. It was the fulfillment of his life. And his life that was complete. We all have obstacles. Circumstances, our past, our vocations, people, and just plain old life that all want to block us and stand in the way of what God knows best. But when I look at this idea of Micah chapter 5, verse 2, we celebrate Jesus. But do you know why Jesus came to be who He was? It's because He had faithful parents. Faithful parents. That saw it all the way through. There are some Christmases that, that we as a church feel we need to hit on individualism and consumerism and materialism. I feel like this Christmas season, what God is speaking to our church is that He's pushing into us to fully trust what He wants to do in us. Do we truly trust that everything that's happening around us, that God is going to use for the betterment of us, of us for the world? Do we truly believe that what God is doing specifically in us as individuals is for the betterment of all those around me? Do we truly believe that God is doing something in us as a church for the betterment of this community? And do we truly feel like God is doing something in us so that we would see His hand and His promises fulfilled? I know so many people that jump ship. And I don't mean of church, I mean of life and faith. I know so many people that they look at a story like this and they celebrate Joseph and Mary, and that was good for them, but there's no way I can do it. But let me tell you this this morning. God has a plan for you. And it's plans to prosper and not to harm. And the only way that we can ever trust His plans is because we see the fulfillment of His plans in Scripture. Amen? I've said this many times. I want my grandkids to tell stories of my faithfulness. 
Not my perfection because I'm far from perfect. But I want them to be able to look back and see a, a, a husband, a father, a person, a pastor, a friend that stayed the course. That they would be able to experience the fullness of God themselves. Because the moment they see me quit, they themselves has, have given the right to quit themselves. So Holy Spirit, we come this morning and I want to thank You for the faithfulness of Joseph and Mary. I want to thank You for the greatest faithfulness of Jesus. I want to thank You that God, that this Bethlehem baby, that, that they had no idea that the way that they were living their lives was matching up with the Old Testament prophecies. They did not think they were doing this out of routine or have to. They were doing this because they were put in circumstances that it was part of their life. And God, all the things that were part of their life was actually the prophetic word that you spoken to them before they were ever born. And so God, I will step out on a limb and say, God, that you have put prophetic words in our lives before we were ever born. The moment we were in our mother's wombs, you spoke life. You spoke hope. You spoke truth. You spoke love. You spoke future. You spoke prosperity. You spoke everything you already had planned. But God, there are seasons when it doesn't feel like it. But we all know this. But the rainbow comes after the storm. And I thank you that Joseph and Mary were strengthened during that time to be the parents that you called them to be. So now as we come to the communion table, we take your bread and we take your cup as a sign and a symbol that where you go, I go. Where you lead, I will follow. And so I invite all who desire to follow the way of Jesus to come, overlook the obstacles, and let's journey to this Christmas season knowing that everything that God has already spoken to us will be fulfilled. Amen? Amen.